This is Pink Noise. Before I begin my interview with Chloe Esther, I need to provide some disclaimers. We talked outside in a park, so there's a fair amount of wind noise and other ambient sounds that haven't been in previous episodes. In our conversation, we discuss self-harm, suicide, and sexual assault, and you will hear a distressed scream. This interview also contains casual swearing. If that's okay with you, then stay tuned. Are you okay with unmasking or? Yeah, sure. It seems like the risk is minimal. Yeah. I, <laughs> I also just got tested like two days ago and got my results back. Nice. And I haven't done anything since then. So yeah. Just for fun. <laughs> Why not? Nothing else to do. You didn't get tested for fun, right? I mean, I would imagine you're required, maybe. Uh, I mean, I got tested for, like, I had an exposure three weeks ago, and I've just been testing since then to make sure. Are you um, still working in a healthcare capacity? Yeah, but honestly, I feel safer at work than I do in a lot of places because, um, just the PPE requirements are higher. So, like, I feel better there than, like, at the grocery store because um, I know everything's being cleaned really often and I, like, we have to, like, all of our patients have to wear masks and stuff. So it's, and we, the contact we have with them with, is pretty minimal. We do a lot of stuff over the phone and then just, like, bring them in for, like, the necessary parts of the appointment, like blood draws or exams or something like that. So a lot of it's just phone calls and we do telehealth now too. So, like, video chatting, which is really fun. It's, like, allowed for more opportunities. I, I got to, um, like, we started a new clinic, which is just once a week, and it's solely for gender-affirming hormone therapy in Charlotte, North Carolina, where there's only one, only one of our providers is trained at that clinic. And um, so it allows us to do it once a week just over telehealth. So for people who, like, aren't out or who, like, don't necessarily have transportation to the clinic, they can just do everything over telehealth, which is super cool. So we wouldn't have been able to do that a year ago so that's pretty cool nice silver silver linings yeah it's a crazy time it's December of 2020 I haven't done an interview for this podcast in almost a full year it may have even been a full year by now wow which is like crazy to think about but like because part of me thinks that this year has actually kind of flown by yeah maybe it's like the lack of demarcating events or something like that because I've barely left the house lately um so uh your music is a good occasion I think to like pick up the podcast because you uh I guess it's fair to say you're not a full-time musician you work in a professional capacity Mm -hmm. um and your work puts you in direct touch with a lot of the like crazy shit that's going on in 2020 yeah um so maybe that's like a good first question is how does it feel to release your music at a time like this? It feels interesting. I think it was a tough decision because originally it was an album, uh, like a full length, and we cut it to an EP when like COVID happened um, because we didn't think, we didn't know when we'd be able to get together and finish it. Um, So we cut it to five tracks and that was kind of tough, but definitely think it was the right decision. And then releasing it was sort of a, like a coin toss, like either it will do better because people are, like, bored and, like, looking for things to listen to. Um, Or it, like, won't do as well because a lot of, like, Charlottesville music is very 
live music based. So without being able to do like a release show or um, in person promotion, I was like, maybe it won't do as well. But I'm really happy with how it went down. And um, I do think it was the right choice. And it was nice to have something to work on. And yeah, like you mentioned with nothing like demarcating time passing, it was nice to have something that was like, oh, this is something I have been working on for a year and a half and finally finished in a crazy time. And um, yeah, so I'm, it, it definitely was weird. Um, very weird to just be like responding to Instagram mes- messages about it and like texts and stuff, whereas normally I'd like have a party or like be seeing people in person. That was kind of weird. Um, but yeah, I think it was good. And I think it was nice for a lot of like my friends and, and music, like acquaintances who I've played with and stuff to like have that new connection again like it's always so nice to hear your friends make music so I think that was a nice way to sort of um I guess like touch base with a lot of my friends and stuff so I'm happy about it do you have any requests yeah I thought um could we hear something good yeah the best one (laughs) (laughs) after it ended I got really good at closing things super happy with how this song turned out there's it's very dense there's so many synths in the song and a lot of the ideas for it were just kind of like jokes like I wanted a theremin and we were like well we don't have a theremin let's put a theremin synth in it and then Garrett my boyfriend and I were writing synth parts for it and this like the synth part in the background right now they're like da 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 it just feels like so like funny to me I I really like it and then the end like I think we have like four or five synth parts going it's just like super thick and kind of over the top but I like it it's sort of like Twin Peaks Stranger Things random other 80s inspirations um and yeah I don't know I'm really happy about this song track on the album uh, ending 
is sort of like the sister song to this. Um, lyrically, they go together a lot, and they actually, the outro to this song is the intro to that song. Um, but, so originally it was supposed to sort of be a sad companion to that song, and then it became this sort of like, yeah, like bubbly, like crush sort of feeling at the end, and this sort of outro part about um, sort of like introspective, like, this feeling of like falling for someone is what makes me want to like not be so guarded and not be so like fucked up from my fuck ups, stuff like that. Um, so I think that the musicality of it, like the sort of, I don't think it comes across quite as jokey as it feels in my mind, but the sort of comical, like very peppy synths and just very like pop song vibe of what is kind of a, an anxious, like very questioning song. Um, I really like that like sort of juxtaposition and I think it it's a combination of we just wanted to do something like cool and fun because all the other songs are so heavy um, and also I really like that style of music and I think it's something people wouldn't expect from hearing me just live and so I really wanted to like make sure I was being bold with a lot of my creative ideas, I guess. You mentioned in passing that you're known to, to people or maybe you self-refer as Melon Chloe. Oh, I've been given that name, yes, <laughs> by multiple people. Yeah, very aggressively sad songs is my style. So I was curious about um, when you're sharing and making direct references to like difficult subjects like stop me if this is the stuff that you don't want to go into no you're fine but like I was struck while sitting and listening to you live at like well you're the, the title of your album is Dying All the Time mm-hmm. and so there's a lot of references to not only death but like the phrase wanting to die yeah. and feeling like you want to die and um, maybe even some like self-harm references that I picked up on definitely and I wonder if if you feel better having um, information like that out there that people can know, and or whether it might in, in some way feel like a violation, even though you put it out there that people like know this stuff about you. I definitely don't think it feels like violating. I think anybody who has ever had a conversation with me about anything that I've decided to reveal, like I'm a big oversharer, and I'm a big like I don't really like being delicate about stuff. And I think that started as sort of a defense mechanism of like, I don't want to have any vulnerabilities. So if I immediately give away the things that I struggle with or immediately am talking about these like traumatic things that have happened to me or like difficult experiences I've had, then nobody can like hold that over me because I'm the one who's talking about it and I'm the one who's being open about it. So it's it's not something anyone can have on me. And that's something that I've done, I think, since I was a teenager. Um, But also, sort of going with that, I do actually struggle with, like, talking about actual emotions that I have. Like, it's very easy for me to discuss, like, the psychology behind it or, like, something I have felt but I'm not currently feeling. Like, I'm I'm very good at distancing myself from my actual emotions. And so when I'm being, like, lyrical or being able to write about these things, it kind of feels sometimes like the only time I can be like serious about them without 
because I don't like talking about how I actually feel. Like, as I'm sure you remember from when I play live, I'll be like, doodly doo doo, like, I want to kill myself. And then I'll be like, thanks, guys. <laughs> like, it's, it's like I, I don't have a lot of gravity with my, with my music because it's, it's like, it's too upsetting. Sometimes. Not like I don't actually feel upset. Like, I'm, I don't, it's not like soul bearing that I'm like, it's hard for me to talk about or something like that. I just don't like emotional vulnerability that's real. So if I'm just giving away all my emotional vulnerability in my music, it's like, I don't know, it's just it's much more comfortable because then it's also a performance. So it's like, is she really that sad or is it like, I don't know. It just, it's the only comfortable way I think for me to be honest about what I'm feeling. You mentioned like putting on some kind of armor um, and so I, and I started to form this like mental image of you like in bed like with the covers over your head with your guitar and like writing your songs singing your songs while like the world outside of that like blanket is like chaotically swirling around and you are just basically oblivious to it or doing what you can to remain like unaffected by it yeah and right now it feels like it's hard to know because none of us have ever been alive before and it's hard to know how previous generations experienced the world but it does feel like that world that we're bundling up against is like more insane than it's ever been because there's these existential um, crises, multiple crises like stacking up um, that it's like it's so big that you can't even like look at it and I wonder if that's something that you think about when you're writing your songs because your songs are actually extremely personal they don't really yeah. deal with these like worldwide crises yeah I've I've definitely I've been both criticized and praised for the like deeply personal nature of my music like when I first started writing that way probably when I was like 14 or 15 um I remember one of my like musical like not mentors but someone who I played music with in the community who was like older um was like you have to like write stuff that's a little more relatable and less personal because it's like nobody's going to want to listen to that they want to listen to stuff that they can understand and um, for me, I mean, first of all, I completely disagree with that because my favorite music is extremely personal stuff from other people like Phil Elverum, his deeply personal like stories about his wife's death and him like coping with that. Like I, they touch me emotionally because they have, I always use this phrase emotional texture that I like when you're writing about something, you're creating an emotional texture that like even if someone can't relate to getting stoned in their bedroom at 11 a.m., they can relate to the like the feeling of of what I'm like emoting there or you know like I don't know when like the painting in, in Wasp like when the painting falls and it's like tense moment between two people where it's like are you mad at me are you mad at yourself like what's happening like even if you haven't experienced that you you can un, you can like empathize with it so the whole sort of circle of how that answers your question is um like I a that's what I, I like to listen to stuff about people's lives because, yeah, we're all experiencing the world already. Like, I don't want to experience that again through... I don't want to write about it. I don't, I don't necessarily want to listen to stuff that's just about, like, events or, um, you know, the terrible things that are happening in the world around us all the time. Like, I want to hear about the terrible things that happened to you. And I want to talk about the terrible things that have happened to me because we all know everything else that's happening. And it's just... I crave that like intimacy of music um that that just feels so much more touching to me 
and easier to tackle. Like, I don't know how to write a song about how the world is crumbling and the climate's exploding and we have a terrible leader and there's a global pandemic. <laughs> like, I don't know how to tackle that, but I can tackle, like, heartbreak and trauma and those things because there's, I think there's this validity to those experiences that we sometimes take away. We're like, well, why are you sad about this when this other thing is happening that's so much bigger? And it's like, I can be sad about both things and I can emote about them differently. Like, I don't have to write a ballad about climate change. I can write about my breakup and they can both mean, they can both like mean equally big things to me or to someone else. saying that what I'm saying is pretty serious but the way I say it is very like almost jaded and like sarcastic at times and again yeah that's just because I don't really know how to be serious about stuff like I've never I don't feel like I've ever like seriously told someone about like trauma in like a serious way even with my therapist I'll like be like yeah I'm like I don't know it's kind of suicidal this week like I don't know maybe I was like overthinking it or something like that like I don't know how to be serious but I can feel the, like, seriousness inside of me. I just don't really know how to emote it. And so, yeah, the music was, like, my way of creating those builds. I think what growing up is is the only time where I really, like, I mean, I'm pretty, like, quasi-catatonic through the most of the verses, and then there's that middle one where the drums come in, that sort of, like, sad parade beat. Um, when I do sort of start to emote a little bit in the music and then immediately go back, at the end, when it gets serious, of course. <laughs> well, and then there's the last thing that happens in that song. Yeah, where I simply scream as loud as I can. Yeah. That was, um, yeah, I mean, that song obviously is about something extremely heavy and, like, the fallout from an assault and, like, losing touch with yourself and with the world, sort of how you're talking about with the blanket above the head. Um, and... Tonally, it's pretty, it's pretty flat other than that, that drum entrance. Like, it is sort of maintaining a similar, like, like level of intensity throughout. Um, and I really wanted to have that sort of... You kind of think the song's over, and then you're like, why is this going on so long? And then the outro gets louder and louder and louder, and then it's yeah, obviously the scream. And I think it, that was just a really good way to like say the same thing I've been saying where it's I don't know how to talk about my feelings but this is something that's fucked up and I'm mad about it and 
so listen to me scream. Like, it's just a really good contrast to the, yeah, the sort of catatonic tone of the rest of the song. Um, like, this is what I, how I really feel, but I don't know how to express it. I love the ending of that song. It's super sick. <laughs> I can still remember the heat of his breath at the top of my spine, where I got a tattoo half a year later, and I thought of some. of season two with Chloe Esther. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you about some of the, of the kind of personalities that you make reference to. Um, yeah, I wanted to kind of see if you could reveal a little bit about some of the personalities that you're either speaking about or to in the songs because as a listener... You might think that there's one person who's done a lot of bad shit to you, or that there might be like uh, a handful. Uh, and like, my intuition from what I've from what you've told me is that there's like my theory. I'm talking a lot about my. I love your theories. Today, <laughs> <laughs> um, is that like, well, there's one like longer term person that things just didn't work out, and you were young, and uh, that that kind of the ending of that kind of relationship can be really painful because it's something that you want to work out and like betrayals in that context can hurt really badly and then the other side of that is that there's um, in is this what growing up is that maybe there's a more specific and acute um, event that happens with a different person that that's a deeply painful experience but that maybe doesn't come from someone that you necessarily trusted or were involved with yeah, um, so yeah, most of, all the other songs in the record are about, yeah, like a long relationship I was in that was very on and very off and very toxic in a lot of ways. Um, but it was very inspiring musically, so that's good. Um, and then the two that sort of deviate from that are something good, like I mentioned, um, sort of starts with the closure of that relationship um, and then sort of opens into a possible new one. Um, which was really just inspired by a random short-term crush I had, um, which is really nice when that happens. Um, crushes are the best. But, yeah, what growing up is, 
it's yeah I like the way that you phrase that where it's something that is acutely painful but from someone you barely know which is a kind of weird and absurdly common thing to happen um but yeah that was about a sexual assault in college from someone that I barely knew um and the fallout from that was like pretty intense for me and I've already had struggled with some other like mental health difficulties depression anxiety PTSD um and that was something that I basically happened and I was like oh this is fine like I'm I'm fine and then a week later I went into this like dissociative episode that lasted several days and I was like "Mm, maybe I'm not fine and then continued to affect me for a while um the person that did it um ended up coming into a coffee shop where I worked a lot and about six six or seven months later a couple times and sort of reignited a lot of the undealt with trauma that I had from that. Um, But it was kind of weirdly intertwined with the other relationship. Um, It happened while I was sort of in an on-again phase with him. Um, And both the initial event and then the secondary, like, when he was coming into the coffee shop, I sort of went to that person for comfort and... um, So they are kind of weirdly connected, even though they're not. Um, And I think a lot of the hurt that I felt was from the lack of comfort that I got from that partner through that, um, like, event. And, yeah, it was... I really didn't think also that people would like that song because that one is kind of personal in a different type of way that can sometimes not be so fun to listen to. But once the whole album was out, that's the one that I actually got most positive feedback on also. So you really never know what people are going to identify with. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a weird like combination of long-term little traumas that sort of build into a, a like long period of hurt and then a singular you know, couple-hour event that can like affect you for your whole life. It's, it's weird how that works. There's another side to you that I think is really interesting and a mm-hmm. compliment to your, uh, to your exploring this personal pain and maybe and re- refutes anyone who might say that you're like navel gazing or like, you know, moping around because mm-hmm. it seems like, you know, you help people. Yeah. <laughs> you are, uh, you've worked as an EMT on an ambulance crew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I worked. So I joined the junior rescue squad in Stanton when I was 16, became an EMT and then a medic and I was there for just shy of four years, and then, um, yeah, I worked at Planned Parenthood for, like, a year and a half now, and, I mean, I hope I help people there. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I have, I've been told by, like, friends and partners that I am, like, I have quite a nurturing, like, I don't really like the word maternal, but, like, I'm sometimes the, like, mom of the friend group. Like, I do have quite a nurturing, like, soft tender side of me um which I think is why I've built up a lot of the like armory walls because that's been abused um but yeah I think that there are two ways you can go and you've been hurt a lot in life you can either become the herder or you can become a helper and I think that I could see myself becoming hurtful in some ways when I was younger in some relationships 
and just like a lot of anger was bleeding into my personality. And I didn't really like that. And um, I already knew that I loved medicine and I loved the sort of science behind it. But I also am really bad at advocating for myself, but really good at advocating for other people. And I really like that um, ability. I think a lot of people who have been hurt are very good at seeing when other people are being hurt and hopefully trying to prevent that. Um, so, yeah, it's, it is a kind of a weird other side to me where I'm like a depressed poet, but also a medical provider. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I do love the work that I do, and I really love... Yeah, I love helping people. I hope that I do as, as often as I can. Um, working in the American healthcare system doesn't always result in the most positive experiences for people, but we try. And as an EMT, I mean, you know, I guess I, you've showed up to things that were not, like, you know, you weren't just applying Band-Aids and things like that. Yeah, like amputations, car wrecks, um, dead people, heart attacks, births, um... Did you feel equipped for that kind of thing when you signed up? Yeah, no. I mean, I when you start out, you don't, like, do anything, basically. You are just the person who hands people things and writes stuff down for a while. So you get kind of, um, like, numbed to some of the, like, gravity of the situations, I think, especially if you start young. I've also always had the kind of personality where I, like, focus under pressure, um, my sister has epilepsy and it didn't like, didn't start to present until she was like 14 or 15. And for my parents, that was something that was really hard for them to see. But I think a positive like side effect of the sort of dissociative like coping mechanism I've developed is that I'm pretty good at like experiencing things that are traumatic, but not for me. Like if I'm seeing someone else who has been like severely injured or something, I'm I don't really emote that much because I immediately like sort of disconnect from any emotions I might feel just because that's a pretty common coping mechanism for people who experience trauma. And it's, it's, it helps in those sort of situations where you're like, I can't do anything about like the scariness for you, but like I can help you not feel so bad and I can make you not bleed out. And it just, when things are very serious, I think it's easier for me to focus on things and also when things are super serious like it's usually pretty obvious what you need to do um so it's you know if someone's spurting blood you like put a hand on it or if someone's arm has disconnected from the body pick up the arm and like get it somewhere clean like it's I mean I, I know it sounds kind of like I'm so like I don't know special and good at doing medical things and that's not really what it is it's just like you get used to it pretty fast especially when you see like I think seeing dead people is actually harder for me than seeing alive people because there's nothing you can do um and that's a weird intimacy I don't like like informing someone that their like life partner or child or parent has died is like extremely uncomfortable obviously for that person it's it's like you know one of the EMS um sort of I was going to say catchphrase. I don't really know what, what word I'm looking for, but, like, I guess motto is, like, be the best part of someone's worst day. And that's 
easier when they're like having a heart attack and you can make them not in so much pain or like you can assuage some of that shittiness but when someone's dead you can't really like do anything so it's just really hard and especially when I was younger that was really difficult um and then it's also weird because you're like this isn't about me I shouldn't be experiencing discomfort like this is about someone else's discomfort and I shouldn't feel like it's not it doesn't feel right to be uncomfortable about someone else's grief so it's just sort of a weird but you like do you do feel that so there's no hiding it um it's just a weird feeling. I don't really like when that can't do anything to help, basically. It's not very fun. Well, um, it might be a good time to wrap up. Okay. Um, I do appreciate how your, your, the arc of your album tends to suggest a process of healing. Um, and so I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you for that. It's, it's a of gift. Of course. Yeah. Do you have any other like specific questions about songs or anything? I don't think so. I mean, I, I think that this has been great. And I appreciate you being flexible and willing to do it. Of course. Yeah. This is super fun. It's nice to get outside and not to be just to sit outside. It's nice to have someone to talk to. It's the first conversation I've had in person in a while. Yeah. So. It's very nice. So, Chloe Esther, thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you for having me, Jeff Gregerson. <laughs> Chloe Esther's record Dying All the Time is out now on all streaming services, and you can buy it on Bandcamp. You can find links to Chloe's music and more episodes of Pink Noise at pinknoisepod.com. If you like the show, you can subscribe, rate, review, and share. Thanks for listening.